Good evening, my name is Mark, one of the pastors here at Twin Lakes. I also want to welcome you, so glad that you're part of this worship service. And if you're also joining us through Facebook Live, welcome to you as well. We are glad that you are with, them, with us as well. Welcome. Uh, we are in a series right now called Songs of Summer. It's based in the Old Testament book of the Psalms, which is essentially a collection of Israel's ancient worship songs. And tonight we're going to be in Psalm 90 and see what it has to say about how time flies. Have you found this to be true in life? Time flies? Case in point, in, in 1964, the Rolling Stones released a song entitled, Time is on My Side. You know this song, Time is on My Side? 1964. And when this song came out, you know, they, they had some credibility here, okay? They're all very young, uh, got their lives ahead of them. Uh, sadly, the guy in the middle there with the blonde hair, he would only live five years longer. That's Brian Jones. Uh, but the, the core of the band has had an incredibly long run, so much so that now, if you were to hear them perform that song today, not quite the same, okay? I mean, I I'm not picking on anyone, but time is not on their side, okay? I got news for you. It's not on your side either. Time flies. This was impressed upon me in kind of a weird way this week. Tuesday morning, I go to meet with the rest of our worship team. Every Tuesday, we get together, we plan out the services, and every so often, we'll meet for breakfast somewhere. So we're over in Santa Cruz having breakfast, talking about the songs and the announcements and Psalm 90 and this theme about the brevity of the time we have on earth. And then I'm driving back on Soquel Avenue, and I pass by this uh, skateboard shop called Bill's Wheels. Perhaps you've seen it. It's hard to miss because it's just adorned with all of these amazing murals. But the thing that catches my eye are these four words right here. Time is too short. Now, bear in mind, I'm just coming back from this worship planning session talking about Psalm 90. I drive down Soquel Avenue about four or five times a year. So I'm thinking, well, this is kind of an odd coincidence. I'll pull over and take a picture of this. I might just end up using it in my message. I go directly from there to Aptos High School where I pick up my son Luke's class schedule. And when I'm pulling out of the school, right where the entrance to Aptos High intersects with Freedom Boulevard, I'm sitting there at the light and I look across the road and there's a cement structure that says, yeah, same four words. So now I'm starting to, you know, it's like do, 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 do. I was like, is somebody trying to tell me something? And it, you know, we always try to take our messages very personally. I mean, it's not really a sermon until it comes from our, our heart. But I'm thinking, Lord, do you want me to take this like personally in, in kind of a really special way? Because I found it all a little bit disconcerting. But I think the answer is yes. God wants me and you to take this subject very personally. Because it's that important. Five years ago, I preached on Psalm 90, and just as I did back then, I want to give credit to a pastor named Andy Stanley for some of my thoughts and for the outline, and so I want to acknowledge that. But Psalm 90 is a unique psalm because it was written by a guy named Moses. You've probably heard of Moses. He lived in an amazing life, and here's why you and I should listen to Moses. 
Moses lived 3,500 years ago. We know his name. We know much of his life story. And if 3,500 years from now people are talking about you and the things you said and did, we should be listening to you too. But we know that to be true about Moses. The Bible says not only that, but he lived 120 years. You're going to pick up some things over the course of 120 years. Not only that, but Moses had three careers, each lasting 40 years. You, you may have one, had one career lasting close to 40 years or more, but he had three First 40 years, he grows up in Pharaoh's household in Egypt. He's surrounded by all the money, all the resources, all the education that Pharaoh could provide. And Moses grows up. Now, he's, he's learned how to basically run one of the world's superpowers of the day. But then at age 40, he kills a man. He has to flee for his life out into the wilderness. And for the next 40 years, he has a career as a shepherd. Maybe thinking that's the way he's just going to live out the rest of his life. But 40 years into that, God appears to him in a burning bush, says, it's time for you to go back to Egypt. He does the whole let my people go thing. There's the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. And for the next 40 years, Moses is the leader of a nation. So Moses has more experience, more wisdom, more perspective than any of us, that's for sure. Which brings us, again, to Psalm 40, or Psalm 90. Notice how it, it's attributed there at the beginning. It says, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. This is a prayer. He's taking this personally. This is a, an issue of prayer for him, even though he's called the man of God. It's a pretty cool title. But he begins Psalm 90 like this. He says, Starting at verse 1, you can follow along in your notes or on screen or in your Bible. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And right out of the gate, Moses wants to just expand. He wants to stretch our perspective as wide as it can be. And Lord, from the very beginning of human history, you have been our dwelling place for all generations. But he's not done. He's going to stretch the lens even further in verse 2 when he says before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting you are god super wide angle lens there before creation in eternity past and during the entire history of this earth and after that lord you span it all and in comparison to that our little nanosecond of existence <laughs> looks just about as tiny as you can get. Verse 3. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. <laughs> That's, like, That's like something Gandalf would say, right? Return to dust. You shall not pass, or something like that. But he, he's not talking about you know, God blasting us. He's, he's saying just from this perspective, you know, all the generations that preceded him and all the generations that followed him, all the way down to you and to me and countless generations beyond us, who knows? But he's saying, you know, it's all just a little blip in comparison to the eternity that God occupies. And he just keeps this theme going. Verse 4, a thousand years in, in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, gone by or like a watch 
in the night. You know when you're, when you're really young, a year seems like a long time? Like if it's the day after your fifth birthday, sixth birthday just seems like an eternity away, right? You think about that when you're a kid. Oh, man, it's going to take forever. Or the year before you get your driver's license. Yeah, that's a long year. But then by the time you get into your 40s, 50s, 60s, and stuff, like time starts to go by at like warp speed, right? You know what I'm talking about. Well, it's like Moses is saying, God, <laughs> you are so old. <laughs> the thousand years, it's like, it's like a day to you. Or not even a day, like a watch in the night. That was three, sometimes four hours. And again, this, this perspective in terms of, of time. Continuing in verses 5 and 6. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like new grass, the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. He's saying, you know, when, when you're born, you're just like this little tender baby shoot of grass. You know, mama, here I am. And then by the end of that day, you're all withered and old and creaky. And they're like, well, that's really encouraging, Mark. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? There we go. Let's close in prayer. But listen, because Moses is wiser than us, and has more experience and perspective than us, he is forcing this perspective on time upon us. He wants us to take this very personally. Verse 10. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. He's saying, you know, maybe you're around for 70, 80 years. Man, I have 40 more on top of that. And the last 40, they were the hardest of all. You know, I'm doing laps out in the wilderness with a bunch of whiners and complaining. And it wasn't a lot of fun. And by now we're like, okay, Moses, you win. You know, you got the biggest, you know, bummer award or something like that. <laughs> but his main point is that, you know, however many years the Lord gives you, whether they're kind or they're difficult, it all goes by so Verse 10 ends, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If you grew up in church, you might remember, might remember a song you sing sometimes. It says, I'll fly away, oh glory. Yeah, you can sing it with me. I'll fly away when I die, hallelujah, by and by. I'll fly away. Beautiful job. That was good. That's Moses, 3,500 years ago, inspiring that song. Now, the next verse probably didn't inspire any songs. You're not going to see this on a cross stitch at Grandma's house or anything like that. Uh, it's it's, it's kind of sobering. It's difficult to translate in the Hebrew. Verse 11, it says, If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. You're kind of, huh? It's like it's missing a few words or something like that. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Nobody knows. <laughs> uh, my guess is this. Moses is kind of saying, you know what? <laughs> I got a glimpse of God's power and God's wrath over the course of my life. Like back in Egypt, <laughs> wow. <laughs> or out in the wilderness, I saw some amazing things. And, and, and of course, in the perspective of, of the entire Bible, and especially in Christ, we know that even greater than God's wrath is God's love. 
But Moses says, man, there was some times I saw some stuff. It would make the hair stand up on the back of your neck. It would make the hair stand up on the top of your head. I mean, it was awesome. In other words, if you saw some of the things I saw, <laughs> saw being in awe of God <laughs> would not be a problem for you. That would not be an issue. You wouldn't be just kind of mildly impressed. And on an infinitely lesser scale, the only thing I can kind of illustrate this with is uh, one night, Laura and I had the opportunity to see the northern lights. Anyone seen the northern lights? Uh, this, this is some high definition video on screen, but I don't care if you have like 4K or 8K or 100K, it doesn't matter because there is nothing like seeing this with your own eyes. It will just take your breath away and it will make you feel very small in comparison. And Moses is saying, man, that's nothing to the lights I saw. In other words, I think he's saying this, if we could see God as he is, we would give him the reverence he is due. If you're a note taker, you might want to write that down. If we could see God as he is, we would give him the reverence he's due. In Psalm 46.10, it says, be still and know that I am God. And that word be still in the original has to do with is it cease striving. You know, let go. Take a time out and remember that as Renee said last week, he's God and we're not. That, that, that we have this awesome God who loves us and wants to, to infuse our lives with meaning and purpose and blessing. And because of that, if we could see God as, as he is, we would also be more careful with the time that we've been given. We would be more careful with it. And this is where Moses is heading here. He brings us all to a head because all this perspective, all this kind of review of his life and the travails and all that, it's coming down to a perspective here in verse 12 where he says this, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart. That's what he wants to have produced out of this kind of perspective. And if, if you learn to do this, if you learn to actually number your days, listen to me, it will change your life. It will absolutely change your life. And, and you will gain along the way a heart of wisdom. Because here's the thing. <laughs> As your time goes, so goes your life. As your time goes, so goes your life. And so let's start to apply this. Let me just first begin with kind of the big idea here. This is what uh, I, I think Moses is getting at. It's this. Remembering our time is limited gives us wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. Remember, our time is limited. It gives us wisdom to know how to spend our limited time. And the good news is, you already know how to do this. I'll prove it to you. Uh, if you're married or you've ever been married, the day that you became engaged, a clock started to tick in your life, right? Unless you had some kind of open-ended engagement. I don't get all that. But most people, there's a proposal and then you set the date, right? And between that time, you got boxes to check and you're doing all sorts of stuff, running down details so that you're ready to walk down the aisle when that day comes. You made those days count. Or if you're a student 
or you remember being a student. The beginning of the term, the professor or teacher talked about, you know, there's going to be a term paper that's due on such and such a date, or we're going to have these exams. And even if you procrastinated through school like I did much of the time, when you're doing that, the voice of wisdom, it starts to cry out louder and louder, you better knuckle down because that final is coming whether you're ready or not. And so you learned how to number your days. And this is so clarifying. You number your days, and, and, and it will give you wisdom about what matters, what's truly important, and what isn't. I really want to drive this home, because listen, if, if all we do is kind of nod and go, yeah, that's true, that's, 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 that's something that, that I, I agree with, you know what, it's not going to do you a lick of good. You will have essentially wasted 30 minutes of your precious time if, you, if we do not apply this into our lives. And so let's make this very practical in terms of the application. And that's this. Remember every single day of your life as you can. Pray to remember that my time is limited, so I need to limit how I spend my time. It's, it's that simple. My time is limited, so I need to learn how to limit how I spend my time. And some of you are thinking, well, you know, thank you very much, Captain Obvious. Okay, we get it. But here's the thing. This is not our natural drift in life. Not many of us are overachievers in this regard. And I think there's two main reasons for that. First of all, we, we tend to just adopt this mindset. It's human nature. Like, I've got all the time in the world. Like, I'm practically, I'm going to live forever. It's like we even have a saying. It says, you ask someone, hey, can you help me with this? And like, sure, i got all the time in the world. No, you don't have all the time in the world. You don't even believe that. But if we go through our lives just kind of punting into tomorrow the things that truly matter today, that's, that's essentially what we're assuming. We've adopted that philosophy. I just, I've got endless tomorrows. I'll just keep kicking the can, and someday I'll get to those things. I'll have that conversation, or I'll, I'll, I'll embark on that project, or I'll follow that path or, or that goal. Someday I will. And yet we all know we don't have an endless string of tomorrows. We don't even have a guarantee that we have one tomorrow, let alone thousands of them at our disposal. That's the first reason. The second one is this, and I think this is really so much typical of our culture and even where we live, which is this. We tend to assume, without even consciously assuming this, but we tend to just operate under this assumption that my most precious commodity is money. And so I just chase after money because if I have more money, well, I'll have some stuff that I like having. But, but more than that, I'll, I'll have more time because I'll be like the captain of my own ship. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you'll just spend all of your time taking care of all of your stuff. One thing is for sure. You can spend money and you can make more. You can even lose money and you can make more. But you cannot spend or lose one second and ever get it back. That's why, that's why this is so huge. We're, we're talking about what our lives will ultimately amount to. And, and here's the thing. Here's the challenge. In this area of, of having a life infused with meaning and purpose, the odds are stacked against us. 
Okay? Our natural drift is not in this direction. It is away from this. And eventually, eventually the math starts to catch up with us. The math starts to catch up. And so why not start doing the math now? Math that we will not be able to avoid someday. Now what really counts? Along these lines, uh, a woman named Bronnie Ware uh, wrote a fascinating book. It's called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. Now, it doesn't sound like a real, you're like, whoa, that's an uplifting book. But it's actually really clarifying. Uh, what, what qualified Bronnie Ware to write this book? Uh, she was a hospice nurse for many, many years. And uh, typically, she would care for her patients anytime from 3 to 12 weeks, their last 3 to 12 weeks. And so she had this unique perspective on what people were thinking, what mattered to them at the very end of their lives. And so she started interviewing these patients, hundreds of them, and she puts her findings into this book and, and talks about their top five regrets. I'm, gonna, I'm only going to cover the top two. The first, or the, the, the second to highest one is this. Second highest regret is this. I wish I didn't work so hard. May or may not come to a surprise, as a surprise for you. But I wish I did not work so hard. And then she says this. This came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret, but as most were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. All of the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. Wow. All of them. And in our day and age where most households, both people are winning the bread, this applies to all. And I know you, you, you might be thinking, well, hey, Mark, look at where we live. I mean, it's ridiculously expensive. If we don't have the pedal to the metal, if we aren't working from sunup to sundown, and even after, beyond that, we're just not going to make it. And I get all that. But have you ever asked yourself, what is the it that you're trying to make? Have you ever defined it? Or has it been defined for you by your parents or your peers or your coworkers, your culture? What is the it that you're trying to make? Because it would be wise to look down the road and ask yourself if it is ultimately worth it. Because every single male regretted working so much of their life for it, but it was too late. It's too late. And they had to die with that regret. Number one regret, this one you probably wouldn't guess, was this. I wish I had the courage to live life, a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Now let me tell you what she's not saying. She's not saying that they said, well, you know, I wish I would have shirked all my responsibilities and abandon my spouse for someone who I had a crush on or anything like that. She's not saying that. What these people shared with her was that they had these dreams they carried in their hearts for years, decades, perhaps their whole, their whole life, good, godly dreams 
that they never got around to pursuing. She says, this was the most common regret of all. When people realize that their life is almost over and they look back clearly on it, it is easy to see how many dreams have gone unfulfilled. Most people had not honored even a half of their dreams and had to die knowing that it was due to choices they had made or not made. And then she has this little footnote, and this is worth the whole book right here. She says, health brings a freedom very few realize until they no longer have it. Some of you know what that looks like up close and personal. When you know the clock is winding down freedom, the opportunities that you used to have or that loved one that you, that you care about used to have are not coming so easily. So what's your dream? What's your dream? For some of you, maybe it's to, it's to go back to school or pursue a, a, another degree or something like that. For some of you, you've got a book in you or you've got a, you've got a painting in you that's never really had a chance to to find its way to the canvas. For some of you, you've always wanted to learn an instrument or, or learn a language. Uh, some of you, you, you know there's this, this area, there's this problem. You know, you could make an impact in solving that problem, but you're like, ah, I don't know, they don't really need me. For others of us, maybe there's a ministry you've been dreaming about. Look around this room, this campus. Everything you see was somebody's dream. And the only difference is that they were willing to pursue it. So what's your dream? Because here's the thing. Windows of opportunity do not stay open forever. Seasons come and go, and, and, and those windows change and look different. I mean, let's face it. You only get to be 20-something once. You only get to be 30-something one time, right? You're only going to be 40-something, like two times, right? <laughs> and praise the Lord, you're going to be 50-something forever, right? Wrong. So what's your dream? Remind yourself, my time is limited, so I need to limit how I spend my time. Now, again, I want to make this really super practical. It, it cannot just live in our heads. It's got to find its way into our lives to make a difference. And so I've got a little exercise that it will be helpful for all of us if we do it. You look down at the bottom of your notes, and there's a little face there, a happy face, and a little line, and then a not-so-happy face. And the first thing you've got to do is not just now, but make time for this. And prayerfully, where that, that line is with a happy face, that's someone in your life that needs more of your time. In fact, it's someone who deserves more of your time. Would you pray about who that might be? Or, man, it might just be popping into your head right now. Write their name down, their initial, whatever, and be praying that God gives you the opportunity to make good on that because this is something that's going to be achieved in his strength if it's going to happen at all. And it's going to be achieved because of something else you do, the, 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 the not-so-happy face in the, the section to the right of that, that's someone in your life who needs less of your time. In fact, they're stealing time from the person who needs more. Maybe it's just the squeaky wheel or somehow they've managed to monopolize your time. But then think about it, five, ten years from now, you're not going to look back and say, man, I'm so glad that person hogged all of my time. Because they're not just occupying you, they're occupying the opportunities 
that you could be spending with the person on the left, the person who actually needs and deserves more of your time. So write in those answers there as God prompts you. And then the next section where it has the clocks, that, that just has to do with activities in your life. Where do you need to make more room for something that really matters? Where do you need to spend more time? Maybe it's quiet time. Maybe it's exercise time. Maybe it's staring into your phone time. I doubt it, but whatever it is, I'm just seeing you for listening. It's all right. Where do you need to spend more time? And of course, those minutes and hours aren't going to fall out of the sky. You're going to have to steal them from the one on the right of that, where you have to spend less time doing something else. I don't know what that, those answers are in your life. I can tell you this. God has been faithful to speak to my heart this week as I've been praying over these things. He's been very clear about areas I need to spend more time, areas I need to spend less, people I need to spend more time, and it's people I need to spend less time. In fact, my prayer every, mor every morning this week has, has started out the same. It's this, dear Lord, thank you for this day that I only get to live once. So help me to spend it wisely and in ways that honor you. And when that, when that perspective starts to find its way into your thinking, it can be an amazing blessing. So I want to close with this, this story, and then my time is up. Uh, it's a story that goes back about five years. Some of you have heard it, but it started when my son Jack and I were, were talking about building a half pipe in our backyard. If you don't know what a half pipe is, here's a picture of one on the screen, and, and uh, you skateboard back and forth on it. And uh, like I tend to do, I was like overthinking it and trying to, you know, engineer it all myself in my head and time, weeks going by. And, and then with some gentle prompting from my dear wife, Laura, which looked a lot like this, uh, it was decided, why not just buy one on Craigslist of someone who doesn't want one anymore? And sure enough, we found one up in Boulder Creek, super nice guy uh, who had three sons of his own and a beautiful half pipe, and yet his sons had gotten to their mid-late teens, and they were moving on into other things, things well beyond his yard. And so we go up there, we start to dismantle it and cart it down to our house in pieces, and I can see this guy, he's getting very nostalgic as we're doing this. In fact, when we start to haul off the last section of the half pipe, he actually starts to tear up. And I can tell, he's, he's replaying these images of the days when his boys were younger and they would go back and forth and back and forth on that, that half pipe. But now those days are over. Well, we get the half pipe home and, and later that night I text him thanking him because he was so nice. He was loaning his tools and everything. And he, he texts me back and wishes me well. And then he sends me this text, these four words where he says, seize the moment, Dad. That's the actual text right there. Seize the moment, Dad. From a guy, you know, I'd never met before except through this exchange on Craigslist, and yet God used those four words in a powerful way in my life. And in the years that, that followed, um, I tried to cherish those, those times when uh, my son Jack would be back there skating with his his friends, and just the sound of, of them being up there, going back and forth. And he hates this video when I show it because he's much bigger and better now. But uh, this was right after we got it up. 
But I knew the day would come and, and the best moments when we were out there together, me trying not to break a bone. Uh, but I knew the day would come when the ramp would go silent in our backyard. And I would be in the very same place as the dad that I bought that half pipe from. Pretty much that day has arrived. So I'd like to pass on to you the same advice that that man shared with me. Seize the moment, Dad. Seize the moment, Mom. Brother, sister, husband, wife, grandparent, friend, aunt, uncle. Where do you need to seize the moment? And of course, the greatest moment we can ever seize are those moments when we know that Jesus is knocking on the door of our heart, or in my case sometimes, knocking on my thick skull. And there's a sense, Mark, this is a moment I want you to seize. And maybe for you right now, the moment is Jesus is actually calling you to faith in him, to trust him in a way you never have before, but you know that's what he's doing right now. Seize the moment, the God who spans eternity says, you know, after this little blip of an existence on this planet, I want you to spend forever with me in a renewed earth and in my heaven. Would you come and, and be a part of my family? You could seize that moment tonight just in faith by saying, yes, count me in. For others, he's calling you to a change in your life because you know there's something in your life and it is an absolute dead end. You know it is, and you know it's going to catch up. The math is going to catch up someday. But you've been telling yourself, well, yes, yeah, someday I'm going to surrender that to the Lord. Someday I'm going to get the help that I need. Someday I'm going to, I'm going to darken the door of a recovery meeting, and I'm going to turn myself over to the power of God in my life. Seize the moment because here's the thing <laughs> we only have so many of them let's pray heavenly father thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and lord i would be remiss if i didn't mention that <laughs> the beauty of your power and and what you can do in our lives is you can actually redeem the wasted time in our own lives. You can redeem the brokenness or the things that we just feel, that's just, that's just wasted. You can redeem that. You can bring beauty out of ashes if we will let you. And so, Lord, I just pray that wherever we're at, wherever this applies to us, and I know it does. It, it, it applies to all of us in a very specific way or ways. That we would just turn ourselves over to you in this moment and say, Lord, I want every single day I live to be one that, that pleases you and, and, and ultimately pleases me when I look back on it. I want my, my, my days to count. But Lord, we can't do that in our own strength. This is not a try harder message. We, we need you to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. There's, 
there's someone here, they've been holding on to a grudge for so long and it's time to just let it go. Wasted enough time on that. Or again, others, that, that there's a change they need to make in their life. And today's the day. Would you, Lord, by your spirit, would you move in our hearts, in our lives, in a way that is powerful so that we might see the glory of God manifest in our little puny lives. We pray this with all our hearts, trusting you, Lord, because we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.